0: It's in those moments where they stumble, where they fall, where they get a little bumped up, that they are growing and they are learning. And the same type of thing applies when it comes to money.
1: This month on Ebb and Flow, we are talking about your kids. More specifically, we're joined by an expert devoted to helping families help their children understand wealth. Values and philanthropy. That expert is Julie Binder, a senior strategist in the UBS Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services Group, and I will say one of the most impressive people I've met in my career here at UBS. In our conversation, Julie offers advice for those of us with children in our lives on everything from allowance to chores to that after-school job, to philanthropy and family values. And along the way, Julie describes the tough love sometimes required to point our youngsters in the right financial direction. So whether you're a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or just curious, join us for the next 30 minutes or so as we explore the critical but often overlooked topic of kids and money. On behalf of all of us at Long River Wealth Management, welcome to this month's edition of Ebb and Flow. Julie Binder, welcome to you. Some of our clients know you well, and I'm so excited that so many others will have the opportunity to hear from you today. So thank you for being here.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Paul.
1: Well, this should be a lot of fun. So obviously, the subject of children and wealth is broad, but it's also very particular and, and conversations must be tailored to different family situations and relationships. So I'm going to caveat this discussion for our listeners by saying that we're going to stay at a relatively high level on this call with the hope that we can have some follow-ups with many of you in the coming weeks and months about your kids. But again, for today, we're going to stay high level. And to make sure that we're covering children of different ages, I'd like to organize our chat chronologically. So, Julie, let's start with how we talk to very young kids about money and then move up from there. So help me define our range here. Is there a right age to start speaking with children about money?
0: Paul, that's a great question. I personally feel like the younger, the better. And when I say the younger, the better, I don't necessarily mean you should be talking to your newborn babies about how much they cost you, (laughs) even though they are often very expensive. But really, I find that it's at about two or three years old that children start to notice that things cost money, whether that is through the approach of them being at a store with you and asking for you to buy something or them seeing that certain things are showing up at your front door when you're ordering a package from an online retailer. And so it's about two or three years old, depending on the maturity level of the child, that kids start to absorb our money messages by seeing the way we're spending money and start asking questions about money. And I think that what we've seen, too, is that kids, as young as three, are even ready to start thinking about an allowance. And I'm not talking a huge allowance where they're responsible for buying their own shoes or clothes, but generally starting them with the basic concepts of understanding how to think about things like give, save, and spend. When my oldest was three, we introduced the concept of allowance, giving him three dollars a month. A dollar for every year he was. And then when he turned four, he started to have that different challenge of saying, okay, if I have a dollar that goes into my give, a dollar for my save, and a dollar for my spend... I have one extra dollar because I'm four and I get $4 a month. Where do I want to choose to put my extra dollar? So it gives you some really great opportunities to start talking to children about the idea of immediate spending, longer term savings and for things we really want, and then personal responsibility and giving back.
1: Interesting. So let's talk a little bit more about allowance And, and I'm going to wrap in the subject of chores as well. So my wife and I, have chores in our house and kids who don't like to do them, of course. And we have allowance in our house and kids who love to get that, of course. So can you talk about chores and allowance? What's the best way to approach these two things?
0: Paul, I love that you mentioned chores and that kids didn't love to do them. I personally don't love cleaning bathrooms or unloading the dishwasher or washing dishes. But I do those things because it is something we have to do to keep our house in a level that we want to live in. right? And that, I think, is one of the things that people often get caught up in. Tying chores to allowance. So, there are a couple of different ways that you can think about the concept of allowance. And one could be the traditional way that many of us probably grew up with, where you do your chores and you get your allowance. And if you don't do your chores, you don't get your allowance. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is it tells children that they have the choice. It gives them the choice to make their bed, it gives them the choice to pick up their room, it gives them the choice to be a functioning member of household. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have anything in particular they want to buy that week or that they're saving up for, or if they just happen to be a child who's not incentivized by money, then they're not going to do their chores. And Mm -hmm. so you can think about it in a different manner. We do chores because we are a part of the family and maintaining our house is our responsibility, right? And then we get an allowance because it is not because we do chores, but we get an allowance because we are sharing in the family wealth. So just like we share in the family responsibility, we share in how well our family is doing by receiving an allowance for that. And, you know, if you want to incentivize children with things like sports, you can do that for something above and beyond. I love to, to think about the concept of an allowance as saying, okay, what do my kids like to spend money on a regular basis? How much are they asking me for? What do I think is reasonable? And making sure that the number of the allowance that they are getting has enough to cover that for them. But then if they want to save for something that is kind of above and beyond what you think is reasonable, so maybe you have a child who likes to get new video games or a child who wants a particular new toy and you don't really feel like that's something that you as a family want to pay for for them. They can earn extra money for doing things like chores. I love the concept when your kids are a little bit older, you know, 8, 9, 10 and above, where you can actually put a chore board up somewhere in the house where they can see it. And you can tie things like, you know, raking the yard should take you approximately three hours and will pay you $25 for that. If you go and rake the neighbor's yard, that who's a little older lady, that'll take you about two hours, but we'll give you thirty dollars for that, right? You can incentivize children based on these things, and that gives children a little bit more of that flexibility and control to think about their week ahead and say, no. I know I have a lot of homework this week. I know I have soccer practice on this date and I want to go to the movies with my friends. I need a little extra money than my allowance covers for the movie with friends, but I don't have the eight hours that mom thinks or dad thinks is going to be required in order to clean the basement for that $60 prize but maybe I have a couple of extra hours, so I'm going to rake our yard and earn my extra money that way. So you can think about chores as your kind of baseline. These are the things that I have to do because I'm a member of the family, just like my allowance is not tied to those chores. But then you can also do things that are above and beyond your typical responsibilities to earn extra money.
1: Okay, so I'm getting lots of ideas here. The above and beyond in our house is going to be cleaning out the chicken coop. We just bought, we just picked up twelve chicks, and clearly that's something that uh, could be one of those extra chores because my Absolutely. daughter, daughter, ironically, wants to save up for a cat. So we're very pet-oriented around here. But on we go. <laughs> so Julie, you and I were, were talking before the call, and actually a few minutes ago, you mentioned this concept again. It's the concept of money messaging to younger kids, and and. You sort of describe this as taking many forms. It could be bringing them on the grocery trip. It could be meal planning for the week, et cetera. Can you talk more about this concept of money messaging?
0: I absolutely can, Paul. And I think that what we have to remember is that as parents, we always want our children to do as we say, not as we do. And it never works out that way, right? Our children are watching us like hawks all the time. They do not miss a thing. They do not forget anything. And so, as I mentioned, around three, four years old, sometimes even younger, they are starting to notice our attitudes and the way we treat things and money. And so they're picking up on some of those subtle money messages that we are exhibiting. If you have a particular toy, for example, and maybe they've broken it three or four times and every time you replace it, you are giving them the money message that shows that if they break things and they don't take good care of their toys, they'll just get replaced and they don't have to worry as much about that. They are seeing our consumption habits If we're somebody who got through the pandemic with a lot of online shopping and there is no judgment there, everybody needed an extra bounce house with young children who were remote learning. But if they started seeing packages show up on your doorsteps every couple of days, they got the money message of more of a consumerism. Hmm. Whereas if you are expressing to your children that on the way to soccer practice, you are responsible for bringing your own soccer ball and packing your own sneakers... And they forget one of those pieces. And their message is, well, you forgot those things, so you have to sit out and not play today because you don't have your ball or you don't have your sneakers. That's a different money message that says you need to be responsible about your own things versus the family that stops on the way to soccer practice realizing the child forgot their soccer ball and just runs into the sporting goods store and just buys another soccer ball Mm. over and over and over again. And that is something that our children are seeing and absorbing. Kids also start to have a sense of family wealth. There are studies that show by first grade, Paul, that kids can rank their classmates and their and their friends in wealth based on the houses they live in and the cars they drive. Hmm. So, this at seven right that's seven years old for most kids, so they're seeing our money messages they're seeing how we respond to things they're seeing how we buy things, and then they're seeing you know the houses we live in the cars we drive, and they're making judgments based on that and You brought up the grocery store, and I love that because it's so hard these days to think about the money messages our kids are getting and we're we as parents are at a little bit of a disadvantage I think right now than our parents were in giving us money messages right when we were kids i'm going to date us here a little bit. But when we were kids, our parents used cash to pay for more things, right? right? We went to the grocery store with them so many of the times. And we said when we would say, oh, can I have those raspberries today? I love raspberries. They might say, depending on how we grew up, oh, you know, those raspberries are $2.50 for the clamshell and you're going to finish them in one sitting. Whereas this packet of grapes at 99 cents a pound is going to last us much further. And that's something our parents had that we have to think about much more consciously because everything these days, most of the time, you know, most households right now in the United States might have dual working parents. We're strapped for time, the free time that we do have. We're shuttling our kids from one activity to another in the hopes that they are getting set up for their future. And so we rely on a lot of modern day conveniences of shopping online, even having our groceries delivered to our doorstep. So we lose a lot of those opportunities to have kind of those subtle money messages that we're delivering to our children. So we do have to be a little bit more deliberate with them. And we need to have the conversations. And it could be something as easy as when you take them shopping for sneakers and they want a fancy pair with their favorite character for younger kids that are light up and you know that you are buying a new pair of sneakers every three months because their foot is growing so fast, that's an opportunity to say to them, you're not going to get enough use out of those sneakers. So we're going to buy this other pair because this is a better value for our money. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about being conscious about those types. Of things. And you can do something similar with meal planning. I have two nephews who are teenagers. And Paul, since I have two boys too, it's like a glimpse of my future every time we have a meal <laughs> together. They love Alaskan king crab leg. They love lobster tails. They love filet mignon. But I've seen my oldest nephew house six chicken breasts in a sitting. So <laughs> meal planning is another great opportunity to talk to the kids about why, you know, you might get that those certain foods on special occasions, but you're not serving filet mignon, Alaskan king crab leg and lobster tails for dinner four nights a week. So that's a great way to, again, incorporate them along with some of those other skills that you're trying to teach them.
1: So I am awash with guilt having heard your answer to that question as I suspect some of our listeners are you know we buy things on Amazon we have bought that soccer ball when they forgot theirs and we get the raspberries too often so <laughs> this is going to be good for us and we're <laughs> gonna, we're going to adjust our behavior and and go on from there. So Julie the hypothetical kids in our chronological discussion are now getting older and and we've talked about allowances How does this change as kids get older and are ready to take on more responsibility?
0: So, Paul, first, I don't want you to feel guilty. We (laughs) go through so many berries in this house. And, you know, I think as parents and I definitely I think we have like seven soccer balls in my backyard right now. But what I I think that we need to remember is that as parents, we many of us are also, again, growing up in more fortunate circumstances than maybe we were raised. And so we always want to give our kids really nice things. We want to take care of them. We want to encourage them. We want them to grow. We want them to have their hobbies. We don't want them to sit out at soccer practice. So the occasional, you know, having to get a second soccer ball or a second pair of cleats, not the end of the world, but it's where it becomes a habit that it's a problem. And I think we need to remember as parents that our job is not to cushion our children from every disappointment. And that's really hard, right? Like when you think back to when your kids were little, 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 and they were learning to crawl or they were learning to walk, And they kept falling over and over and over again. And you want to just bubble wrap them and prevent them from hitting any harm. And you always like hide your head people see how many bruises and scrapes they have from running around and tripping and falling. But what we have to remember is that it's in those moments where they stumble, where they fall, where they get a little bumped up that they are growing and they are learning. And the same type of thing applies when it comes to money. We need to give our kids opportunities to stumble. We need to give them opportunities to fail. We need them to do this while they're younger so that they know that when they do fall, they're in a safe place. And as parents, we can catch them. And I think this especially applies as children get older. So, you know, you might stop, and I know how old your kids are, you know, you might stop on the way to soccer practice for a child in elementary school and get that extra pair of shin guards or cleats or whatever it is. But by the time your child gets to high school, they should be ready to take on responsibilities and the consequences for those responsibilities, even middle school, where if you forget your stuff for soccer practice... We've been telling you to pack it the night before for every single week for the last eight weeks. If you keep forgetting your stuff over and over again, you're going to have to miss practice. And then if you have to miss starting in that game, because you missed practice because you couldn't remember to be responsible for your own stuff, that is so painful for us to experience. But it's in that painful experience for your child that they learn. And the same thing goes for money. So as kids get a little bit older and they start to do more things, they want to go out with friends, they start paying attention to brands that they want on their clothing, you can really think about that allowance in terms of, okay, how much money am I spending you on you on start early with a weekly basis? And then how much on a monthly basis? And then when you look at those things, what do you want them to be responsible for? Do you want them to be responsible for if they want an extra something to buy in the cafeteria for lunch, or if they go out with friends on the weekend, pre-pandemic times to the mall or to a store or to the movies or ice skating, whatever those things are. And you kind of create a budget for them. And remember, an allowance is not a judgment on how you spend money on your kids. It's really about transferring the confidence, the self-esteem and their ability to manage a budget to your children because it's a life skill they need to have. And so You get your budget based on that, and you sit down with them and say, you know, on a weekly basis, these are the things we expect you to pay for out of your allowance. And by the way, we built in a cushion, so there's extra in here so that you can choose to spend that, or you can choose to save that on extra things that you want throughout the year. And then what you do is you hold them accountable. I remember working with a client a few years ago and he had said to me, my 16-year-old son goes out five meals a, a week with his buddies and he doesn't have an allowance. He just has a credit card. He just buys whatever he wants. And I said, well, you know, you should probably think about limiting that and giving him, not limiting it in terms of telling him he can only go out three nights, but giving him the money for it and asking him to take responsibility for it himself. And that way he can choose how to spend it. And the client said to me, Julie, but what if he runs out of money on day three? And I said, okay, well, if he runs out of money on day three, he can just do something else. And he goes, but he's going to be hungry. And I said, he lives at home, right? Do you have peanut butter and jelly? Do you have ham and cheese? Can he make a sandwich? Because in week one, where he runs out of money on day three and he comes to you and says, I have this event on Saturday and I need 20 extra dollars. And you say, no, it's a painful lesson for him week two maybe he gets to day five and you say no again and then by week three he's probably going to be fine and making his budget last and saying to his buddies hey instead of going out for burgers let's go out for two dollar slices of pizza because i know we've got that big party coming up on saturday or that school dance and i want to take i want to go to a restaurant beforehand right and again much better for them to fall and stumble and have that ability to fall back on you as parents when they live at home, when they're 15 or 16, rather than them calling you for money all the time when they're 30.
1: Great lesson. Great lesson. And our kids will be coming to stay with you periodically over the next several (laughs) decades. So... I want to switch gears here a little bit. And I remember the pressures of trying to get into schools as a young adult. And and part of that was the need to show a college or even a high school how well-rounded you were. And so there was this this sort of intense focus on extracurriculars, right? And I know this goes on today. Kids are dedicating their free time to, to sports, to music, to volunteerism. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for a job, a summer job, an after-school job, And the lessons that a job can bring. So how do we reconcile these two sort of competitors for a teenager's time?
0: It's a great question. And kids today, I feel like all of their extracurriculars and trying to get into a college is a full-time job for many of them. Mm -hmm. And if a family is in a financial position where their children can focus on those types of things and not have to have a summertime or after-school job, I think, Paul, this is where many of those lessons can be learned in other ways. So personal responsibility That can be learned through making sure that your children are responsible for whatever it is they need for those extracurriculars, making sure that they are keeping up with their homework and you're not swooping in to talk to the teacher and ask for an extension because they had an intense sports tournament. Right, having them do that themselves, making sure that they know that as there are things that they want to buy that fall outside of their responsibilities, they have to look at and manage their time and say, what do I have time for? And that's where that chore board, where you might have things like, this will take two hours, this will take an hour, and the dollar values attached to them, where even if they can't have a full-time job, they still have extra opportunities to earn extra money. And that could extend further beyond that, right? So it could be that encouraging kids to be a little bit entrepreneurial, and in, if they know they're really great at maintaining your lawn, they can go and door to door in the neighborhood and offer to mow other people's lawns, or shovel driveways, or do other things like that. But so much of those lessons around personal responsibility, compromise, being accountable for their actions, we can be teaching our children some of those things even outside of the job. By making sure that we're consistent about our expectations around the house as well as, as what they're responsible for with allowances, et cetera.
1: Julie, kids today seem so much more attuned to what's going on in the world. We have clients with children who are very focused on trying to help solve issues like poverty, like hunger, inequality, et cetera. You mentioned the the save spend jar, uh, the save, spend give jars earlier. How do we bring our kids from that sort of give jar concept to a more developed sense of philanthropy?
0: Great question. I think the give jar is so important. And talking to kids in the context of why we as a family feel like we want to give back, whether that is just a reflection of your family's values, if it's a religious motivation, or if it's just a tax deduction purpose. We don't judge why people give. We just are happy that they're doing it. Mm -hmm. And kids today have access to more information than anyone before them. And most of the time, in most high schools these days, there is a philanthropy component where they have to volunteer a certain number of hours to hit their required objectives for graduation, right? Mm -hmm. So you can start younger. Like If you are a family that volunteers, bring your children with you to the food bank. Younger kids can get involved really early around the concept of giving trees around the holidays or calling a local shelter in the off season and say, what are some of the things that you need? And going shopping specifically for those things. We always, when we do the angel trees around the the Christmas holidays, we always pick a child that matches the demographic of our children and then give them the ability to go shopping for that child Hmm. so that they can really understand that there are kids like them who don't have anything? older kids, and um, you know those ages maybe once they can read seven, eight, nine, ten, those younger ages, what you can really involve them in is thinking about you know many charities have the opportunity where you can filter budget. And identify or grant wishes or give gifts, and then for the slightly older ones, take them on a beach cleanup. Take them on a if you live near the beach, uh, take them to or clean up the hiking trail, or take them to the food bank, or you know take them into a local drugstore and have them buy things like toothbrushes, toothpaste, deodorant, and donate that to the local homeless shelter. So there are lots of little ways that you can address things based on what your family's philanthropic interests are and what the problems are that your children have honed in on that they want to make a difference in.
1: Each one of these answers is more interesting than the last, and I wish we could elaborate on all of them. And, and Julie, we hope to have you back to do that. But for now, will you tell our listeners about some of the things, some of the tools uh, that Long River Wealth Management, my team, and, and UBS as a firm has to help them you know, with this education of children?
0: Absolutely. Paul, great question. So our team, Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services, spends all of our days in this kind of kind of topic so we have created for the very young children a my money book kit which is a coloring book it has a little guide for parents to help talk to their kids about money. It has three sets of gift-based Ben stickers. So if you start with small jars and all of a sudden you realize you need to move on to those clear plastic shoe boxes, you have stickers for those types of things. And then as kids get older, we have these really fantastic online financial education tools. For the little kids, you know, eight, nine, they're kind of like video games giving a little additional education and knowledge. And then as kids get older, from the high school years to just out of college or in college, they're anywhere from three to 10-minute quick videos on topics. And I think that these are lessons that are so important. You know, we, Paul, you and I have talked to clients whose children are never going to have a student loan, right? But they are living in a dorm with children who come from all different walks of life surrounding them many of whom have student loans. So just passing that little bit of empathy to your children by educating them or giving them access to an online module about things like, what is a student loan? How does it work? And what are the implications of it? Which is one of the the topics that's wrapped up in the Everfly module, can either help your children appreciate how much you've done for them by not having those, and then also give them empathy for what their peers are going through and why everyone might not be able to go on that fancy spring break trip that they're working So lots of really fantastic tools. And then we have two new ones that we're launching in the next month or so that people can tune back for. One is basically... Um, My Money Toolkit that is little playing cards that you can draw, and you can sit down as a family and go through a, a bunch of them, or you can draw one every night at dinner. If you're tired of asking your kids, What did you learn today? or Who were you nice to over the dinner table? they can ask you questions like, What was your first job? and Whose idea was it? and What did you spend the money on? And that allows us, again, more opportunities to be deliberate about our money messages to our kids.
1: Well, Julie Binder. Such a fascinating topic, and we really do appreciate your insights here. These are some really tangible steps one can take to, I would say, sort of improve the health of the family in the context of, of wealth uh, that is so critical. So on behalf of, of my partners, Tom Lips, Andrew Worthington, Ashley Martella, and Paula Rose, and our whole team here at Long River Wealth Management, thank you, Julie, for your time and for all that you're doing for our clients.
0: Thanks, Paul.